This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. A licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. It's a lovely Tuesday here in New York City. I hope. I, whenever I say that on radio, I feel like I might have the day wrong. It is Tuesday, right, Shimon? All right, just making sure. I'm pretty sure it's Tuesday. Yeah, I did that once on uh, filling in for for Rush Limbaugh, and I was like. Uh, what did I, I have tried to remember what it was. Oh yeah, I was like, you know, happy, uh, happy Christmas Eve day, everybody. And they came in, the producers, and uh, Snurdly came in my ear. He's like, it's New Year's Eve day, Buck. I was like, good start to the three-hour radio program and the biggest radio program in the country. Well done, Buck. Not as awesome though as as my single greatest moment uh, in in radio. Uh, beginning history when I was filling in for Glenn very early on. It might have, I, I think I'd already filled in for Glenn once or twice on radio, and but it was very early on, and they were still figuring out whether I could be trusted to drive around. I always say Uncle uh, Uncle Rush gives me his Maserati. Uh, I didn't know if, if Glenn was going to give me his, his Porsche Turbo, you know, or he had given it to me, and, and I wanted to keep getting a chance to, to drive in it. And uh, sure enough, Right about when they do the countdown, like forty-five seconds, they used to have this this mechanical British woman doing the countdown, uh, and fifteen seconds, you know. And it always reminded me of the countdown in a sci-fi movie before it's like, and and the the planet's going to explode or something. Ten seconds, uh, but she she got to forty-five seconds, and I had a a huge. Uh, I hate now that huge always in my ear sounds like huge. And uh, as long as I don't start saying big league, I, I feel like I'll be okay. And by the way, a lot of you corrected me. I thought Trump was saying big league, and, 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 and you were, and, which is a word, by the way. And I was impressed that he knew that that was a word. But many of you sent me somewhat agitated messages months ago saying he was saying big league. And I was, I thought you were wrong, but I didn't correct you because I, you know, we're all friends and, you know, we could have our, you were right. I was wrong. I will admit that. It, it, he was saying big league. But just saying bigly, and it didn't really. I didn't really register that. So yeah, it wasn't bigly. Although bigly is a word. So like I do, you know, when I'm when I'm rolling down doing radio, I do it bigly. I, I guess that's not probably not a good example of it. 
Oh, but so my story, and then I'll tell you news of the day, and we'll get into some some actual substance here. So as you can tell, I'm, I'm caffeinated today, and I got enough sleep last night, which is a, a change of pace for me. I know, what a shock. Uh, so I, I was sitting there, I was about to do Glenn's show, and I'm still still a young pup in the radio, uh, in the radio world, and I had a venti. Uh, I'm not going to say it was a latte. Let's go with coffee. I had a venti Starbucks coffee, huge uh, coffee right there. And somehow I, I moved the microphone and I knocked that coffee. And it was a really, I mean, Glenn's studio here in New York before I moved out of Dallas was beautiful. It was really elaborate, all this cool equipment. It just, it looked really, it was like you're in a spaceship and it had all this gear. And I knocked that coffee and a couple of the engineers and other people came sprinting in like, no, with, you know, big hands full of paper towel and stuff like, stop it from getting on the gear. It was slow motion. I was like, I'm so sorry. And anyway, managed to keep it from frying all the circuits, shutting off the national broadcast and, and stopping me from ever doing radio again. We did. We, we literally managed to stop it right on the edge before it dripped over into the, I don't know, tens of thousands of dollars worth of equipment that were on that desk. So, yeah, good times. Good times, everybody. Okay, enough of that. Trump, tonight, big speech. Uh, he's going to be... <laughs> big speech. Now I'm starting... This Trump stuff is... I've, I'm going to be punctuating my sentences with one word and an exclamation now. I'll be like, great to talk to you today, Team Buck. Happy! Exclamation point. Uh, Trump's giving a speech tonight in front of a joint session of Congress. Not... A State of the Union address, technically. A State of the Union address is one year in, which I have to say does make some sense, right? Why you've been president for a couple of weeks and you're going to tell us your thoughts on the on the State of the, of the Union already? Although, then again, this really is a State of the Union address, isn't it? Because what's the difference? We just don't call it that. Tradition, whatever. I don't know if that, uh, that guy comes out and goes, Mr. Speaker, the president of the... I'm assuming that's only State of the Union, not joint session of Congress, but... And that guy gets paid really well, by the way. I remember reading about that. The guy who comes out and says, Mr. Speaker, the President of the United States, whoever that is, uh, I think he gets paid really well. It's, it's a, like a ceremonial gig, but you actually get a nice paycheck. So, uh, Trump's going to be speaking tonight, and there's not a lot of surprises, I think, that will come out of all of this. Uh, but he, there, there are a few things that will loom large. I talked a bit yesterday on the Amazing Night Show, which you should all subscribe to on iTunes or listen live on the iHeartRadio app. On iTunes, type Buck Sexton in the search bar. Buck Sexton with America Now is the show. Click, subscribe, and bam, I will love you forever. Uh, but moving on, we're moving back to what we were talking about here. Shameless plugs are just going to pop in and out here. That's what's going to happen. Trump uh, is going to be talking about a couple of things that are, that are important issues. Well, a lot of things that are important issues, but a, a few of them are going to be bigger than others. And for one, he is going to be tackling, I assume, Obamacare. And and this has got a lot riding on it because we were promised all along that the, that the moment that we gave the Republicans, that the American people gave the Republicans control of the House, control of the Senate and the White House, that they would deal with this thing and get it done. They passed all these repeal bills. Oh, repeal. Oh, repeal. Oh, repeal. Okay. And they knew that Obama wasn't going to, well, first of all, the House, I mean, the uh, Senate for a long time was in Democrat control, so it didn't even matter. It was just the House passing stuff. And, and then we knew that Obama wasn't going to sign it. So it was just an exercise in trying to sell. By the way, I don't think that exercise was wasted. I think it's important to show the American people that 
that the only stopgap or the only uh, block from repeal of Obamacare was the president. And so the moment the presidency was in Republican hands, there should not be a problem. Um, And yeah, there we have it. So here we are. Um, sorry, I just got an email from uh, CNN requesting requesting work from me, but I'm like, but but CNN, you don't pay me anymore, so so no. How how about no? Back to what we're talking about here, Trump. Uh, okay, he promised even at CPAC that he would replace and repeal, or <laughs> rather, replace and repeal is the wrong order. Repeal and replace Obamacare. Let's play that clip. Just as a little reminder, this was just on Friday. Play it, please. Sir, the bottom line, we're changing it. We're going to make it much better. We're going to make it less expensive. We're going to make it much better. Obamacare covers very few people. And remember, deduct from the number all of the people that had great health care that they loved, that was taken away from them, was taken away from them. Millions of people were very happy with their health care. They had their doctor. They had their plan. Remember the lie? 28 times. You can keep your doctor. You can keep your plan over and over and over again. You heard it. So we're going to repeal and replace Obamacare. That's what he said. We'll see how it goes because the Congress has to has to take the action here. A little side note, by the way, I don't know if you ever watch John Oliver, who's got his own show on HBO. Let me tell you, I'm just going to talk like this and throw f bombs out there because I'm so funny. I'm John Oliver. Uh, he does this show on HBO, and, and it's just a it's a, the Daily Show, but once a week. It's the old Daily Show, the John Stewart model of. Everything, Republicans are all dumb, ha, ha, ha. Everything liberals believe is true, and we can laugh at the other side. Very, Not a lot of jokes that both that people can just laugh at because they're funny. It's all, oh, but look at, look at this footage of an obscure state assemblyman from some state in the South, and he's so stupid and Southern and Christian, and let's make fun of him. Okay. That's actually pretty much, pretty much sounds like, like uh, this guy, John Oliver. But I thought it was so funny because at one point his you know his audience, which is I think borrowed from the Bill Maher audience, I think it might be the same. Like they have to sit there for Bill Maher, and then they're just transferred over to the John Oliver studio. Uh, but he's sitting there, and he mentioned about how Obama said, you know, President Obama promised you could keep your plan, and 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 then he got into the. <laughs> But it was that was a lie. He never said the word lie, which if you go back, I'm not saying you should watch the whole thing, although it was on media, I think, over the weekend. And you can see it's on YouTube. They post a lot of stuff on YouTube. It's fascinating. It was that President Obama repeatedly saying, you, if you like your health care plan, you can keep your health care plan. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. John Oliver's description of that, I just was so struck by this. Wasn't that President Obama is a huge liar, which was what he was. He was lying because he knew based on what his advisors had constructed for this law and what the Congress was passing with Nancy Pelosi uh, at the at the helm, he knew that that wasn't the case. But he was saying that anyway because that would have created real opposition to it at a critical moment. That's called a lie. 
When you know something's not true and you say it with purpose, that is a lie. John Oliver doesn't even have, for someone who's, oh, I'll speak truth to power. I'll just sit here and I, I use profanity and I'm so funny and liberals love me because I'm British. And, I uh, and he does all this stuff. And sure enough, when it comes to speaking the truth about what Obama said, Obama lied. You could say Obama is a liar because he lied, lied repeatedly and lied on an issue of real importance to the American people. And did and Obama did so in his professional capacity as president of the United States. He is a liar. He lied. So I was all, oh, Trump is so bad. He lies all the time. I mean, Trump lies about, you know, how big the size of his hamburger was for lunch. I mean, who cares? Anyway. And he orders it well done sometimes. Unacceptable, Trump. All right. I draw the line. Unacceptable. You don't order meat well done. And steak with ketchup? Are we savages, sir? Are we savages? ketchup with your steak you should only eat steak with ketchup if you're like at a diner that's the only thing open in town it's two o'clock in the morning and you are pretty sure that you don't know what animal this steak comes from and you just are desperate for food and you want to cover up the flavor but steak i mean ketchup completely overpowers the the flavor of steak i mean that is just it is an outrage my friends i'll be honest with you honest even on a good burger I don't think you go ketchup. Yeah, that's right. Now, that's not that's more of a taste issue, meaning a personal taste issue. Obviously, it's a taste issue. That's more of a personal preference thing. But you, you don't you don't do that, uh, in my opinion. You definitely don't do it on steak. I mean, that is just completely unacceptable. Uh, that is, you know, going that's going to a you know, I don't know. That's going to a length that is just that is just unacceptable. That would be like watching Old Yeller and at the very end, like laughing somehow. Like, what are you, a maniac? Saddest movie ever. It's Old Yeller. You don't do that. Uh, any of you who haven't seen Old Yeller, you should check it out. It's a, kind of a forgotten Disney classic about a, about a yellow lab, everybody. What could be better than that? So, okay, Trump promised that we'd repeal it, but I, I just had to go on the John, John Oliver rant because maybe I'll even try to find that audio for you later so you can hear it. It's just so... Can't even can't even be honest about Obama lying and the one it, it sort of comes up and it's like oh let's not talk about that because it's not funny let's drop an f bomb at the Republicans again. Uh, all right, so where was I? Oh yeah, this wasn't exactly confidence inspiring. Trump says he's going to repeal and place Obamacare, and then he said this that it was complicated. Play clip two. We have come up with a solution that's really, really. I think very good. Now, I have to tell you, it's an unbelievably complex subject. Nobody knew that health care could be so complicated. And statutorily and for budget purposes, as you know, we have to do health care before we do the tax cut. The tax cut is going to be major. It's going to be simple. And the whole tax plan is wonderful. But I can't do it until we do health care because we have to know what the health care is going to cost. And statutorily, that's the way it is. So for those people that say, oh, gee, I wish we could do, you know, the tax first, it just doesn't work that way. So, I mean, for, I, I know that he was speaking off the cuff here, but you never want the president to say that health who knew health care could be so complicated, because I think everybody recognizes anybody who's ever received one of those bills from their health care provider that says, here is what the doctor charged. Here is what your plan allows. Here is what your copay is. Here is what your copay based on uh, acceptable um, acceptable payments are to your doctor. Here is the reduction based on your plan that your doctor will take. Here is the reduction your doctor will not. I mean, you look at this thing, you're like, 
what 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 is this telling me exactly? I I don't under and then at the end you're like oh so I'm paying a bunch of money even though I was in network that's good to know thanks you know here is a service that is covered here is what is allowable under your plan here is what is customary under our own rules that we won't tell you about as to what is allowable even if it is allowable in your plan I mean you know it's just nonsense and it's all a big it's all a big black box it's all a big machine meant to obscure the costs and because ultimately here's the problem with healthcare and I will tell you the truth about this a lot of people a lot of politicians are out there pretending that this is going to be much easier than it is the problem with healthcare is twofold and you're getting it you're getting it right from the from the buck here all right this is the truth and then I got to go into a break everybody wants somebody else to pay for their healthcare and nobody wants to be held responsible for bad decisions they make when it comes to preparations for future illness, i.e., if you don't buy insurance and you get super sick and you go bankrupt, you want someone else to take care of that. Now, I know there's a lot of additional layers here. Of, oh, well, Buck, but what if you can't buy insurance because you don't have the money? Or what if it's because you're priced out of the market in the individual market? I know, but I'm just saying the two big problems that really come into play here that shouldn't and the reason why healthcare is not free market and healthcare is not as straightforward as it should be, there is an expectation among a lot of us, among, um, I think a vast majority of Americans deep down have this. And I suffer from it too. I go into the doctor, I'm like, I'm in network. Here's my copay. They're like, well, this is actually going to cost you $300. Wait, what, what, what do you mean? I'm in network. Oh, no, but this is. And I look at them and I think, oh, this is such an outrage. And then I think, well, I mean. Who's paying? If I'm not paying for it, who is paying for it? You know, the insurer? Well, someone's paying for it somehow. We have, there's, there's this notion that there's a magic money tree somewhere that just pays for our health care. And everyone likes this because, you know, it usually benefits you. But when it doesn't, all of a sudden, everyone's really upset. Someone else paying for your health care ultimately is, is part of the problem. And I don't mean you. I mean me. I mean all of us. We all think that somehow health care is going to be almost free. Not true. And if it is almost free, it's going to be terrible. That much I can promise. I really should just share with you some of the stories I've had recently of of going to a an in-network doctor that was, quite honestly, because the network here that I could work with in New York, because um, recently I had to have an, a, a minor eye surgery. I mean, I might have done radio last night, at least started off doing some radio with a, a patch over my eye. Um, Oh, I got to go to a break. I, I got good stories to tell you. But Shaman, thank you for keeping me on the rails here. We do not want the train to derail. The Buck will be back right after. Stay with me, team. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source, like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life, and that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. A licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. 
Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, so we got Paul Ryan, the uh, GOP, the, the Boy Scout and number cruncher of the GOP. Uh, I, I've, I've heard from people who have uh, had just personal interactions with him in a, in a social setting. For whatever this is worth, he's apparently an incredibly nice guy, so there's that. And I, I can believe that. That comes across, I think. But he's an earnest and nice dude from understand in real life, which, you know, so good for him. I, that, you know, I think... These days, people people who are uh, prominent and powerful, who are still manage to be nice dudes, they deserve a high five. But he said that that uh, they're not. In, he's talking about the Obamacare repeal and replace, and he says they're not in some back room the way Obamacare was written in some back room. It's out in the open, step by step, et cetera, et cetera, yada yada. Play Paul Ryan clip three, please. That's exactly what we're doing right now. See, we're not writing some bill in the back room in Harry Reid's office like Obamacare was written. We're going through the committee process. We're doing this step by step. We're having public hearings. We're having committees work on legislation. This is how the legislative process is supposed to be designed, not hatching some bill in a back room and then You're, popping it on the American people. I think he's right. It's good that people know what's being done here. Although, if you try to look at some of the details of Obamacare, the repeal that they're planning, so many taxes. We all forget that, that Obamacare is laden with taxes. There's all these different things that it's uh, raising revenue, i.e. taking money from the American people in order to prop this whole thing up. Uh, and, And it is complex. I wish Trump wouldn't say you know, nobody knew it would be so complicated. No, no. A lot of people knew it was very complicated, Donald. Let's let's not get confused on that one. Uh, I think he just misspoke there or just was speaking offhand. Um, we've got other stuff we've got to address here that uh, Trump has said, but uh, I'm going to have to hold that till after the break. I believe we might have our friend, the uh, political dynamo known as Sean Davis, joining us in just a few minutes. So that's going to be fun. Sean is going to take a samurai sword to the progressive nonsense I don't know why I went with Samurai Sword, but it just sounded good. Uh, We'll be joining him in just a few minutes. Stay with me. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Sexton Show. Team, our friend Sean Davis is with us now. He's co-founder of The Federalist. You can see all of his latest and greatest on Federalist.com. And also he is at Sean, E-A-M-D-A-V on Twitter. And uh, he is well worth the follow. Trust me. Sean, great to have you. Great to be here. How you doing, Buck? I'm all right, man. Uh, first off, I-, I see on the Twitter, because I was just looking you up right before we got here, that... Uh, is is Dave Weigel Weigel getting a little a little hissy? What's going on? 
he is upset that we apparently uh, criticized uh, him by quoting his articles, and we didn't ask Who is him he? to comment on his articles that he wrote that we criticized. Washington Post columnist. Washington Post. I thought Politico. Okay, Washington Post. Yeah, yeah. So, so you you pull a direct quote from one of his pieces and comment on it. And he wants the ability to comment on your comment on his direct quote. Right. And the weird thing is that he criticized us for not asking for his comment on his comment without asking us for comment. It's like a Mobius strip uh-huh. of made a uh, uh, angry uh, media criticism. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. All right. Well, let's move on to the other media <laughs> criticism that happened here. Uh, which is that um, they, well, there was all this, all this fury on Friday over. I have to say, the way this was reported, it was fascinating. When you're not invited to one thing, I don't think that's, a, or rather, when you're not included in one thing that is a series of many things, meaning there will be lots of press gaggles, there'll be lots of meetings with various administration officials. To say it's a ban, I think, is all right, because I think that they also like the term ban after the Muslim ban that wasn't really a Muslim ban. Now the press is banned from, and I had to point out that this was on the Friday press gaggle with Sean Spicer. You had ABC, NBC, and CBS included, all of which, I mean, these are the three main broadcast networks, none of which are pro-Trump. They're all quite anti-Trump, whether they hide it well, some hide it better than others. Uh, but media acted like this was First Amendment DEFCON 1. What is this? Just like a big snowflake fest? It was so. What happened is the uh, the White House press secretary Sean Spicer uh, wanted to uh, basically launch a broadside against CNN and New York Times for what the White House said was false reporting. So they invited in a bunch of networks and they excluded CNN and the New York Times. And the whole media had a fit. How dare he do this? How dare he do that? Now, personally, I think he should have invited them in. I think it takes a lot more stones to just call them out to their faces than, than exclude them. Um, but. Th- Obama did this all the time. I mean, the notion that every single White House uh, press interaction um, has to be with the entire assembled White House press corps is silly. I mean, think about all the emails and all the phone calls must go back and forth between uh, a press secretary and the media entities. And not everyone in the world is BCC'd or CC'd on those. Um, But the media acted as if, uh, you know, it was a direct salt on the uh, First Amendment. There was a New York Times reporter, Sopan Deb, um, whose agenda is quite obvious if you follow him on Twitter, who said it was a direct assault, a true threat on the First Amendment. Because as we all know, the First Amendment guarantees the New York Times walk-in rights uh, into the White House whenever they feel like it. You know, It has nothing to do with the right to publish without fear of government coercion or punishment. It's actually just about uh, blue check marks on Twitter giving uh, an all-access pass to the White House press staff whenever they want it. Yeah, I was telling people, I actually had, to, I had one funny little exchange with someone on Twitter who said that the First Amendment means that the, 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 there's the right of the people to access the White House and the president. And I was like, okay, um, first of all, demand a meeting with the president and see how that goes. <laughs> every, if every private citizen can demand a meeting with the president, the president's not going to get a lot done. And also, demand to walk into the White House whenever you feel like it. See how that goes. Uh, so th- that that's not reality, but that's the way they were acting. And Washington Times columnist uh, Charles, or editor Charles Hurt, pointed this out. Play clip uh, two, please, and how Obama would keep reporters out of gaggles. Washington Times editor Charles Hurt, Obama would routinely keep reporters out of gaggles. 
We'll get there, Sean. Thank you for your patience. <laughs> Thank you, Team Buck, for your patience, too. Do we have it, Shamont, or am I, am I imagining this clip? We got it? Okay, cool. Thank you. Okay, we're, we're right, keeping everybody in suspense. I think this is a go. slap in the face to the press again, saying, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. And this, of course, comes right after on Friday when you had members of the press that were left out of some gaggle that Sean Spicer did, including places like Politico, New York Times, L.A. Times. You, you've mentioned earlier when you worked for the New York Post, this isn't something new. This has happened before. You've been kicked off of an airplane. You've been kicked out of gaggles. Tell us about that. I, I, I remember a, a column that I wrote in 2008 got me kicked off of President Obama's campaign plane. We would routinely get get uh, kept out of those gaggles in the White House. It was not a big it was not a big deal. And I tell you, Abby, the New York Times never mounted the ramparts to defend the First Amendment when that happened. The only time they care about the First Amendment is suddenly when they get left out of something like this. And it really is sort of obnoxious. And there was something else that that President Obama said. Uh, I think it was last week that I that is a, a very good thing. It was at the CPAC dinner where he said, you know, I love the First Amendment. I probably use the First Amendment more than anybody else. And there's a, a, a real truth to that, that, that the First Amendment doesn't just apply to the New York Times. It doesn't just apply to the Politico, which you would think it would when you listen to them uh, uh, get all, all spun up about these things. But it's, it, you know, a, a guy like, uh, you know, the First Amendment applies to you and me. It applies to right. a political figure. And, and, and uh, places like the New York Times, they seem to forget that and they think it only applies to the New York Times. Yes. Uh, the, the journalists, Sean, think that they have special, even uh, constitutional and legal rights. Uh, this even extends to journalists who believe that they have a right to publish whatever national security information they want. It's actually not true. It's just the DOJ chooses not to prosecute them, but they don't have any special. They don't have any special right to uh, publish that information. I, me I know many who think they do, and I'm like, why don't you read the Constitution, buddy? And we'll have a we'll have a talk afterwards. Um, but I think that's what the show's here is that there really is a belief among the elite echelon of the press corps that they have a right to greater access than other people do. That it's actually a legal right. Oh, they do, and, and it's just so petty and stupid. Now, I, I don't think the Trump White House acted wisely. I think what they did was small and petty. Um, just like previous White Houses have been small and petty when they restrict access is a punishment to people whose entire livelihood depends on uh, access to important people. Um, but, I mean, if you look at what happened earlier this week, the White House sent out a blast email with a bunch of pablum and lame talking points um, about the upcoming State of the Union. And InfoWars, the conspiracy website, got a hold of it and pitched it as they were given an exclusive. And media, again, went to DEFCON 1. Oh, my gosh, Trump is giving them exclusives. We didn't get this information. Who got this information? Well, pretty much everyone on a mass distribution email list of uh, non-lefty outlets got it. Um, and when I had gotten it, I got it from a friend in my personal email who works at the White House. I kind of read it, skimmed it, didn't think it was interesting, and forgot about it. And when I mentioned, you know, actually, I got this thing, too. Uh, they dove in. Oh, my, well, who else was on it? Who sent it to you? What happened with this? Like, guys, it's a stupid blast email. And last week was a stupid press gaggle. Calm down. They need to calm down. And what's so odd is that these people really have a moral duty to calm down. Because when there uh, is an actual crisis, when something really bad happens, and we actually need the integrity of the, uh, the fifth column in the news media to help uh, uh, ensure accountability, nobody's going to be listening to, him, to them because they were freaking out over emails and press gaggles and Kellyanne Conway's feet on the White House couch. Oh, yeah. By the way, I saw that one. I, I can't believe how many news outlets think that 
her feet on the couch is is a, is is wildly disrespectful. Is it a magic couch in the White House? Why is this such a problem? Look, it starts with Kellyanne Conway's feet on the couch, and we all know it ends with the uh, British burning down the White House. Okay, it's a, you can draw a straight line from A to B there. So obviously, their their hysteria and outrage is well warranted. I mean, I remember when people were saying that Obama had his had his foot on the desk, and there was all the outrage over that. I mean. This just then this just becomes a a test, a litmus test to see what people think about various White House figures, the president, everything. I mean, uh, people need to calm down a little bit. I mean, I think that some of the yeah, there should be some respect for the office. And and I I mean, the actual office. I don't mean respect for the office of president. I mean, respect for the office that the president is in. But after Bill Clinton, it's real hard for you to take any uh, any reporters who have been around the block for a long time seriously like oh the respect needed for the oval office like really democrats you want to go there but i digress uh i also want to ask you about trump and distancing himself from sean spicer's uh, apparent phone checks looking to see who might be leaking stuff here's what trump said uh shaman it's i would have done it differently trump distances himself from spicer phone checks well, first of all, Sean Spicer is a fine human being. He's a fine person. I would have done it differently. I would have gone one-on-one with different people. Uh, and we don't have a major leak process here. We have a major leak process in government. But I would have handled it differently than Sean. But Sean handles it his way, and I'm okay with it. Yeah, you don't want to have Did leaks. they figure out who the leaker was? We have sort of ideas, but don't forget. We have people from other campaigns. We have people from other governments. We've got a lot of people. What do you think about all this this leak hunting that's going on, Sean? The press is fascinated by it. Uh, so I, let's segregate the, the different types of leaks. There's like the White House political intrigue leaks that that clip was about. And then there's like the DOJ illegal leaks of, you know, FISA warrant existence and FISA warrant uh, information content and all that. The political intrigue stuff, I don't care. Like, I, I, I've tried to care less than I care now, and I'm not sure I can't. I don't care who at the White House is leaking. I don't care what Sean Spicer is doing. I don't care what Trump says about what Sean Spicer is doing about other people leaking. I don't care. Um, I do wish they would spend a little more effort rooting out people who are illegally leaking um, highly classified and top secret information uh, in order to damage the president and his staff. You know, there was a time, you you might remember this, um, where we had special prosecutors uh, to come in and prosecute these dangerous leakers um, I think maybe the White House should spend a little more time focusing on substantive stuff and less time uh, doing the stupid palace entry nonsense. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think the press is much more interested in this story than a majority of the American people. And, and I do think it's also uh, worth necessary, really, to, to, to segregate out what's a, an illegal leak of top secret classified information to settle political score with, you know, we heard this in a meeting. It wasn't classified. It wasn't in a skiff and it makes Trump look bad. I can understand why they want loyal people in the white house, but they also are going to be dealing with people who are not white house appointees. And I don't even think they could fire, you know, if somebody who comes in from, let's just say EPA, cause that's getting a lot of attention these days and relays to the press, something said in a meeting. I don't know if under civil service rules, they could just be fired for that. I'd have to look into that. My, my assumption would be probably not. It would be difficult to do that. But uh, I, again, I, I don't really know. But Trump said one more thing. I want to get your reaction, Sean, and that is that he thinks Obama may be behind some of this stuff. Play that, Shimon. 
Do you believe President Obama's behind it? And if he is, is that a violation of the, the so-called unsaid president's code? No, I think he is behind it. I also think it's politics. That's the way it is. And look, I have but a very Bush was never. But Bush wasn't going after Clinton. Clinton wasn't going after uh, Bush. Well, you never know what's exactly happening behind the scenes. You know, you're probably right or possibly right, but you never know. No, I think that President Obama's behind it because his people are certainly behind it. And some of the leaks possibly come from that group, you know, some of the leaks, which are really very serious leaks because they're very bad in terms right. of national security. But I also understand that's politics. And in terms of him being behind things, that's politics. And it will probably continue. All right. So we've only got about 60 seconds here, Sean. Is, is he just saying maybe Obama's behind it or does he say Obama is behind it? I think it sounds a little bit like it could be either. Yeah, what I got from that is him kind of just like nicely going, yeah, yeah, anyhow, we know his people are behind it. Um, I, I think that's indisputable. My goodness, we have Ben Rhodes, the, the guy who invented the Iran echo chamber and then bragged about using stupid 27-year-old reporters to print whatever he wanted because they're such idiots. Uh, we know for a fact this guy is behind a, a lot of the stuff. He got one of his former aides at DNSC to write this sob story article for The Atlantic about how she just couldn't last there under Trump. She just couldn't last. And then, you know, lo and behold, we find out she was one of his top aides. Um, Obama. Oh, yeah, not the only one either. I actually know the other guy involved in that. Story for another time. My friend Sean Davis of The Federalist, everybody. Sean, let's hang out again soon on radio. And team, we'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Ah, team. The White House Correspondents' Dinner. I went once. Didn't really enjoy it. Had fun at the BuzzFeed party afterwards, but the Correspondents' Dinner was really long. It was boring. I was seated, like, basically as an adjunct to the kitchen staff, uh, of course. As a, this is very early. It's like the second year, I think, I was at the Blaze. It was very early on. And I did not, I left, I didn't even wait for the President Obama's speech. I left and went to the BuzzFeed party. I mean, was there Gangnam Style that happened at the BuzzFeed party? I don't know. I don't, is there, is there video of Gangnam Style? I don't know. It's, your guess is as good as mine, everybody. I'm not, I'm not sure. But uh, the correspondence dinner is not everything that people think it's cracked up to be at all. And Trump says he's not going. Play it. A lot of the stories are made up. I believe a lot of the stories are pure fiction. They just pull it out of air. Now, with all of that being said, I just thought it would be better if I didn't do the dinner. That doesn't mean I'm not going to do it gotcha. next year, but I just thought it would be better if I sure. didn't do that. Uh, he's not going to go. Uh, they may, I've heard rumor, or I've read rumors, I should say, that Alec Baldwin may be standing in for Trump, which would just make the whole thing a debacle and would show what a, what a left-wing... Uh, bacchanal of stupidity it really is but we'll see they may they may do it i i wouldn't put anything past um but yeah the correspondence dinner it had become too much of a little celebrity a-thon anyway i think it was far too self-congratulatory for all these journalists and showing they're way too cozy with those in power they don't speak truth to those in power i got a lot of problems with it uh but team we got hour two coming up here in just a few minutes uh, so don't go anywhere and uh, subscribe on iTunes to Buck Sexton with America Now, everybody. Back in a few. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.
Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is The Buck Sexton Show. All right, Team Buck, welcome back to the Freedom Hunt. Hour two is already upon us. It's uh, flying by today. Let me also just please ask that if you have not already, uh, download Buck Sexton with America now on iTunes. Go on iTunes, look into the search bar, type in Buck Sexton, I'll pop up, and then please click subscribe. And also, if you wouldn't mind, do me a solid and write a description of the podcast, tell people why they should Join us in the Freedom Hut while they should be a part of Team Buck. Um, the podcast is growing very quickly to that show, and it means a lot to me. So please do help out on that. And uh, it's free, obviously, and it's just the best way that you can vote. Vote yay for the Freedom Hut is to uh, download that podcast and maybe share it with a couple of friends. That would really help out, and I appreciate it. So the media is obsessed with this White House's uh, secrecy. They believe that this White House is... <laughs> they believe the White House is obsessed with trying to stop these leaks from happening, which I can understand. I can understand why there would be concern among those who don't feel like they can trust their own staff. There are uh, turncoats, not for other nations, but turncoats against the administration in their midst. You should not be working for a White House that you feel a need to publicly undermine with uh, confidential information. Now, I don't mean necessarily classified information, but I mean the sort of information that you have access to when you're in the inner workings of a company. There are any number of places where you can work and you sign an NDA, and it may not have criminal sanctions attached to it, it may be civil, but there's also uh, some ethics involved here. There's also that the, the fact that people are putting trust in you, and I think it, it's a very good measure of character to know whether your word matters. And when you say that you will uh, you will keep someone's confidence and you will keep the confidence of those around you in a professional setting and don't do that, uh, that is underhanded, it's slimy, it's gross, and it's wrong. And I know that right now, see, the press is giddy about this. They think this is fantastic. They couldn't be any happier over what's going on here because as they see it, this is the administration trying to push back against uh, those who just want transparency. And, and more importantly, it's politically damaging for this White House. And anything that hurts this White House is good. Anything that is helpful to this White House is bad. That is how the press sees it. And so they get these reports about Spicy. And I say that with some affection. I don't know. I don't know Spicer. So far, I, I'd give him a, a B in his role as press secretary, maybe a B minus. Uh, you know, he's okay. I don't think he's been as terrible as they've pretended. But trying to enforce some loyalty within the inner circle of a regime within a White House is is not a, uh, to me at least, is, is not a sign of some sort of tyrannical bent. I think it's completely acceptable for the administration to want people around them who can be trusted and who take the trust placed in them seriously. I, not just on the classified level, but there was also inside the CIA designations of, and I don't want to get into what they were. You may be familiar with them. I don't know if they're talked about publicly, but there was also, hey, this is just for, for your eyes but and, and your knowledge, but this is not to be publicly shared. It's not classified, but let's, let's keep this Let's keep this among those who have a, a professional need to know. Again, not 
strictly speaking, classified. So National Security Act and, and federal law doesn't govern it. But it's, you, you know, if you were disclosing this, you could be fired. If you were running around telling people about it, they would fire you instead of throw you in prison, right? You disclose classified, you go to prison. You disclose uh, internal agency only. Um, and, and, you know, that's not the official designation for it. But I'm just saying they had some markings that would be, this is for us, this is for our professional day-to-day duties. And that, by the way, that stuff is FOIA-able, and it's not that the public can't see it, but it is, um, although I'm actually not sure how that works with some of the designations. It gets complicated. I'm not, I'm not a lawyer who specializes in national security FOIA, although I know one, and we've had him on the show before. The point here being, though, that I, I took that obligation seriously, and I never would have taken it upon myself to leak to the press to damage the administration. I mean, you know, there's there's a level of leak that you can justify on moral grounds. If the if the Obama administration or the Bush administration was uh, executing after they had been taken into custody, executing uh, Iraqis who were suspected of terrorism without trial, uh, and this was a policy and this was happening, and I knew about it. Yeah, I would have raised red flags. And if those red flags didn't get attention and didn't get immediate redress, maybe I would have gone to the press. But I also would have gone to the press with the knowledge that I was going to be resigning, losing my career, and possibly facing charges. But in that instance, I know that I would have, this is of course a hypothetical, I'd be able to look my fellow Americans in the eye and say, this was going on. I tried to go through channels. It did not work. I went to the media because I had no choice. If you think I should serve prison time for that, I will stand before you now and be judged by a jury. And I would hope that the jury, if in this circumstance, would have seen my actions as those of a patriot, and they would have uh, not sent me to prison. <laughs> and the administration, knowing that, wouldn't have even brought the charges because if you're righteous, that can, in very limited circumstances, override the uh, right to secrecy that the government has. Okay, that's not what's happening here. What's happening here is people are finding out information that's embarrassing to the Trump administration, and they're releasing that information to harm the Trump administration, and it has nothing to do with exposing uh, humanitarian violations or uh, violating codes of ethics or the law. This is just, oh, isn't this, this is high school girl stuff. No offense, high school girls. If you're listening to the show, you guys are great too. But this is high school girl stuff. It's gossip dressed up as news. And the media loves this. And here's Jake Tapper speaking to Jeff Zeleny, one of their chief political correspondents, talking about how they're trying to track down leakers. And, oh, isn't this just so funny? Jeff, let me ask you. Sean Spicer also told his staff not to leak news of his anti-leaking meeting. So how do you and I know about it? Well, Jake, it leaked. And that is a uh, <laughs> here, uh, journalism 101 or how you do uh, Washington journalism 101, perhaps. Some leaks uh, are sanctioned. Some leaks are not sanctioned. All leaks are not created equally. No one knows that more, perhaps, than the president himself, who has spent a lifetime in New York dealing with tabloid reporters and others. But I am told that the president signed off personally on that meeting last week of Sean Spicer deciding to ask some of his uh, staffers to see their phones, to see if any of them were using those apps, like you mentioned, Sigil and Confide, which basically um, allow you to send messages and they disappear, sort of like Snapchat, slightly different. But I'm told that that was sanctioned by the president. He knew about this. And it is a it was designed to send a signal across this government entirely, not just here in the White House, that they do not want leaks to happen. So sometimes to send... You know who also didn't want leaks to happen? Obama. But you know what he did to leakers? He threw them in prison. 
And the press wasn't acting like it was the end of the First Amendment. And the press wasn't acting like Obama was a tyrant. The press wasn't raising all the alarms about it. All the sanctimony. Oh, the sanctimony from the media under this administration. It's just stifling. You choke on it. It's all over the place. There's no escape. Isn't the administration allowed to have personnel working for it? They had many tens of thousands of applicants to work for the administration. Uh, look, I have my differences with the administration. I'll tell you right now, if they said, Buck, we need you to work in a senior national security role, I would take it. I mean, I, well, I probably wouldn't be able to leave my jobs, but I'm saying at least in theory, I'd be willing to do it, even though I have disagreements with how they approach certain things and I have my misgivings about... So I'll be honest with you, I have my misgivings about some of the, the senior figures in the administration. Uh, not, not Mattis and not McMaster, I'll say that. And uh, I also am, am uh, fond of uh, a number of other, uh, you know, Dr. Gorka and a number of other people who are on the, even on the national security side. Uh, but there are some questionable characters in this administration. But I would still, if I had the opportunity to serve, and I wasn't trying to build out a national radio show that would uh, be the voice of a younger, new conservative movement, not to be grandiose, but that's the plan. Uh, I would serve this administration, but that they need people who are loyal shouldn't be some sort of a punchline. It should be quite obvious. And I, I think the media, once again, shows its hand here with loving to cover how they're trying to stop leaks and how there are leaks about the efforts to stop leaks. And they think this is all just so funny. Ha ha ha. But I really don't think it's funny. And I really don't think that people should be taking the perspective on all of this. Uh, that this is just for sport. I mean, this White House has very serious problems and issues that it is trying to address. I don't mean internally. I don't mean the White House chaos. I mean around the world and here at home. And I do believe still that their greatest fear is not that Trump is going to collapse in, in inability and ineptitude, but the greatest fear the left has and the media has is that he'll do just a few things that have a really dramatic positive impact on this country. And then where will they be? All their hatred, all their lies, all their complicity with Hillary. What will that have been about? All right, we got to hit a break. We'll be right back. Buck Sexton, the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton. Hey team, welcome back to the Freedom Hunt, 888-900-3393 on the phone lines. And uh, also, of course, download uh, my show at night, Buck Sexton with America Now. Go to iTunes or uh, SoundCloud. It also plays on the Blaze Radio, 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. if you want to listen there. So I saw a piece in the Wall Street Journal that I just wanted to spend a couple of minutes on here. And I think that, it, once again, I always look at the campus as a microcosm for what's going on in society at large. American universities are uh, much more, um, uh, much more powerful, have much more influence on our lives than I believe anybody would have thought possible in our parents' generation. I mean, the university, maybe our grandparents' generation, the university used to be, and there are some interesting books about this that I've been reading recently, uh, largely about creating uh, or, in a sense, finishing, although finishing school sounds like something else, um, propelling people into leadership positions in society. It was to create leader citizens, really, the, the elite universities now I'm talking about. And now they are viewed as gateways 
or gatekeepers, better way to put it, uh, to lucrative careers and power. Not, it's not about being leadership, not, not about showing leadership and being a good citizen. It's about do you get that job at the you know hedge fund? Do you get that job at the global conglomerate? Do you get that job at the top of whatever the law firm is? I mean, I know if you go to law school first, but oftentimes you work there beforehand. So uh, universities have a tremendous amount of cultural influence. And then, of course, also professors now aren't just professors. Many of them get uh, or sit on the seats of boards of major companies. They are TV commentators. They write influential books, and they can even be brought into top positions in government. So universities are very powerful institutions, especially the major ones. I mean, something like Harvard has an over $20 billion, billion with a B, $20 billion endowment. And this piece in the Wall Street Journal is not something that's new to all of us, but I just wanted to reiterate how, how it is worse now than it has ever been. The piece is called College Faculty's New Focus, Don't Offend. And it speaks of the anxiety that professors, especially professors without tenure, feel in their constant, uh, or rather in their everyday speech, in their everyday teaching of classes, in everything that they are doing all the time, they have to be worried. They are supposed to be pushing boundaries, encouraging debate. They're supposed to be expanding the minds and more importantly, in some ways, or more specifically, knowledge. Learning is about knowledge. Learning is not about parroting very narrow points of view so that you can fit into those little progressive uh, highways that are predetermined for you to get you to certain places in society. But that's what a lot of these universities have become. And they talk about, for example, a professor who no longer shows movies in his classes, in his film studies class. So this is a, a, class, this is a, a class where you're supposed to be studying movies, looking at movies. He no longer shows Birth of a Nation uh, because it deals with racism, this piece says. He no longer shows the W.C. Fields film The Bank Dick because it makes fun of blind people or Tootsie because of gender stereotypes. So you can't even watch these movies anymore. You know, one of the reasons I find there's something about Mary to be such an interesting film is it is a great benchmark of what was acceptable in the 90s versus what is acceptable now. It was the only movie I was ever carded to go see. They actually asked for my ID, my state driver's license. I was up in Rhode Island going to see this movie and they carded me to go see There's Something About Mary. You couldn't make that movie today. You would be picketed. You would be, there would be a huge outcry. Now, you can still download it and watch it, and people will refer to it as funny, but you could not get away with making that movie today. Robin Williams, one of the greatest comedians of his generation or the last few generations, one of the truly uh, a true comedic genius, his career would have been derailed many times over based on his characters and voices. And, and so these professors feel this, but also it's much more broadly based than that. I feel it, too. There are so many funny voices that I can do for friends and family uh, that I will not do on radio because I'd be risking my career. There are so many jokes that I would like to make to all of you that aren't meant to harm or degrade, but that would just be sort of funny and poking, you know, poking a bit of fun at whatever it may be. But I know I can't do them because the left destroys. They find that and they destroy. And there's not enough room in the conservative media space for you to seek refuge and have a, make a comeback. You know, it's very, very tough 
if you are ousted because of political insensitivity as a white male Republican to make a comeback in media, honestly, it'd be probably tough to get a job. So I mean, I'm out here as as sometimes feeling like a ronin, like a wandering samurai. Yes, I have some fantastic employers who have been willing to give me a shot. Glenn Beck, The Blaze, and now Premier Radio Networks. At CNN, they hired me, but they hired me under the pretense that I would be uh, given r- real opportunity there. But in reality, they wanted me to be a punching bag and I wouldn't play along. So this is uh, this is our modern reality. And I just I find it completely appalling. I really do. I, I think that it is a discredit to us now as a country that we have to walk around being so anxious and so unsure all the time of what we say. And those of you who say, oh, well, I do whatever I want, Buck, and you're being oversensitive about this, I'm telling you, you take real risk. You take real risk by uh, putting yourself out there and making certain jokes and writing things on social media. And even though a normal, rational person would see that it's intended to be humorous and not meant to degrade or, or to cross those increasingly hazy boundaries of what is acceptable... This is true for college professors. It is true in media. It's true for anyone who deals in the realm of ideas. Unless you're an accountant, no offense, accountants, especially this time of year, you're essential. But unless you're an accountant or you know, you're know you in some other non-communications-based uh, profession, you know, maybe if you're a mechanical engineer or you're an, autom- uh, you know, you're an automotive repair, but even there, if it's not a part of your job, it's a part of the workplace. You don't know what you can say. And I've never heard a good answer to how we turn this back. A lot of us just sit around getting annoyed and outraged about it. But more and more, I feel like maybe having a White House with a guy who just runs around smashing things, saying things he's not supposed to, being the bull in a china shop of political correctness without any hesitation and without remorse, is that a way to start to turn the tide back against this? Because it's oppressive. I hate it. It actually makes me mad. It makes me mad every day I'm on radio that there are funny voices that I could do that would entertain all of you and that would make me kind of chuckle to myself. There are jokes that I could make. There are all sorts of things I would like to do in the spirit of entertainment and in the spirit of informing. And I know that I can't because even my uh, conservative bosses, uh, my bosses in conservative media, as much as they are free speech advocates and as much as they have backed me and given me a shot and taken risks on me up to this point, I, I don't want to put them through the, oh, Buck needs to be fired because of that joke he made. Or I don't want to put them through having to defend me because of a, and it's just oppressive. It increasingly feels like we are living in a de, de facto totalitarian state when it comes to speech. And I want to opt out of that. I, I, I need different standards. I need, there, there needs to be real maliciousness and there needs to be a lack of remorse afterwards before someone's going to get fired or demoted or what have you for a statement that was made in good faith in the context of one's profession. That's how I feel about it, at least. But yeah, these professors are all terrified. They're all wimps. They can't show movies anymore. They can't talk about things anymore. They can't assign the same kind of books anymore. It's just nonsense. All right, team, we've got a lot more coming. Uh, 888-900-3393. Also, if you're listening and you haven't before, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Give me a follow. I'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network.
This is the Buck Sexton Show. All right, team, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. Great to have you with me here. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed uh, last night's show on uh, Buck Sexton with America Now. Always good times, 6 to 9 Eastern across the country. Best ways to listen are to go to AmericanOurRadio.com if you want to listen live or on the iHeart app. We fixed the search aspect of that, so you can just type Buck Sexton into the search bar on the iHeart radio app and all my stuff should pop up very quickly you can listen live with your smartphone anywhere in the country and if you're not listening live and you want to listen on your own time itunes great place to go to uh, download and subscribe so go to go just go to your itunes type buck sexton in the search bar look for buck sexton with america now and click subscribe i can tell you that the powers that be uh, on the syndicated radio side of things have already seen that there is a Team Buck surge, that a lot of you are subscribing to Buck Sexton with America Now. And I can't tell you, one, how happy that makes me, and two, how, how good that makes me look at this point. And it's free for you. It takes you five seconds, and you can listen to the show whenever you want. And it's the best way you can give a little vote of confidence for Team Buck. Uh, one more thing, if you wouldn't mind, a few of you listening, write a description of the podcast. They ask for review. So just write, not a description, a review. So please do write a review and just talk about the Freedom Hut and Shields High and how you like the show. Uh, because a lot of eyes are looking at us right now, team. And the more momentum we get early on with that show, this is just going to grow and we are going to be a force. But I need you with me shoulder to shoulder, shields high on that. So with all that said, wanted to take an opportunity here to um, also just talk to you a bit about the latest with Chelsea Clinton. Uh, there's a great piece by Maureen Callahan. And I, like, I don't mean to be mean, but I do feel the urge these days as I look around and speak to my fellow uh, millennials. And, and there's a very clear sense among us that... <laughs> There are the boomers that have cleared the path and made everything very simple for their children. And there are the rest of us who are in the struggle, who are my fellow near millennials, those of you listening who are really up into your mid-40s know exactly what I'm talking about. I know you're not technically millennials, but 10 years up or 10 years down from where I am, which would mean 25 to 45, you understand that there is a, there's been a real shift in expectations for what is possible at that stage of your career for what is financially possible and to do for your family and, uh, and, and, you know, to even have a family for those of you who are younger, people ask me, is like, why, why don't you have a family yet? I'm like, well, one, it's of course, uh, hope you meet the right person. And I am very, ple- I am very happy with Miss Molly and everything is going fantastically in that, uh, you know, for, in that place right now, but it's only been about seven months. So everyone needs to calm down or eight months. Um, but, we're moving. Uh, but in general, though, on the financial side of things, I have to say it is tougher now than it has been previously to get to the same place of owning a home. Uh, I mean, look at millennial home ownership. I'm not making this up. This isn't my perception. You've got a lot of people that are still living at home with their parents who are part of the boomer generation. And the boomer generation, because home values have been rising so much and because they've had the growth in the the long term growth in the stock market for four hundred one ks and for anybody who has held assets over the last thirty years, meaning real estate, stock portfolios, has done very well. And all you have to do is be in the game. For those of us who are younger, everything is more expensive, 
Um, we haven't had the ability. People say to me, "Well, Buck, why don't you, why don't you play the markets? Play the markets? I, I got to save money to pay rent. It's not playing the markets." And we see that there's this generational difference also with retirement. It used to be that the our parents' parents' generation, a lot of whom served in the Second World War, um, you know, the greatest generation, but they reached uh, they reached a period where they would retire. And a lot of them were on fixed income retirements, uh, meaning that they were given a, a yearly stipend that was determined you know, by their company, by their corporation, or by the government. And that's what they lived on. Uh, and it was sufficient. And they would go off in a, de- a defined benefit retirement. Now we've got 401ks. Well, defined benefit retirements have largely gone away because they're so expensive. 401ks, you've needed to be in that for the last you know, 20 or 30 years, and, and then you're fine. But if you've been in it for the last five to 10 years, you know, you got a long way to go. And a lot of people think that there could be a major market correction coming up here, where, as we saw in 2008, you could lose 30 or 40% of the value in your 401k. I don't know when that will be. I'm not trying to, ga- I'm not trying to guess the market's moves because I don't know how to do that stuff. But we recognize that there's that change as well with retirement perceptions. I mean, you look around, many of you, I'm sure, at those who are doing well in whatever community you live in, those who have made a lot of money. And yeah, there are some reti- there are people who are retiring and there are people who are taking uh, stepping out of labor force entirely. But I mean, just, just think about media. You know, These are people that are used to having jobs that they've worked a long time for. I mean, the people at the very top who are much older, the, the sort of Larry King effect, I like to call it. The Larry King effect applies in law. It applies now, in a lot of cases, in medicine. It certainly applies in media. It applies in politics. Those who have made it to a certain level don't want to give it up. They, they don't want to step aside. They have no interest whatsoever in just uh, playing golf all the time or knitting or whatever it is they want to do in their retirement. They want to keep making money. Now, part of that also, I think, is because the boomer generation expects more in retirement, expects a a lifestyle in retirement that is the same as they're used to when they were working. And for those who have a pretty substantial income, um, you know, and have assets, that means, well, why not keep working and you keep living a better lifestyle? I mean, Larry King, someone like that, shows up, does the job. It's not hard. They like doing it. They make a lot of money. Why stop? Uh, so our perceptions of retirement have really changed. I want to bring on an expert soon. I can't do it today, but I'd like to bring on someone to really dig into this because I see it all over the place. Uh, you see it in the media business is particularly prevalent. I think that's because a lot of very successful media folks have just decided that they're never they're, they're You're going to have to just take the take the microphone off their lapel from their cold dead hand. I mean, they're not. They're not stepping aside. They don't want to step aside, even though they've made tens of millions of dollars in some cases. Uh, I I always joke around. I'm like, I want to make it to the point where I make enough money in media that within a few years I could decide, I just don't want to do this anymore. Uh, But I think that I have to change my mentality to this is who I am and this is my life. Uh, And then when I finally, if I ever do get to a point where I'm not worried about paying the rent in a studio apartment in New York City, you know, if I ever get to that point, I won't really care. This is what I find out more and more in my career too. What you work so hard to achieve things, and it takes so long that by the time you achieve them, you have to remind yourself to be thankful. And for me, that's just even staying in the game at this point. Six years in, 
uh, to have a nationally syndicated radio show is beating the odds by an unbelievable margin. And yet, it, it, I just know that it's an op- it's opportunity. I'm fighting just for opportunity. I'm fighting to be able to share my work with more people because I love what I do. But it's it's quite a while before I get to, you know, I, before I'm making it rain up in here, stacks on stacks on stacks. That's that's a ways away. Although, those of you who download my iTunes show at night, 6 to 9 Eastern, Buck Stacks of America Now, you are helping the stacks on stacks. Each download is helpful. Uh, it's free for you to do, but the numbers are important from the perspective of corporate, and they look and see what kind of enthusiasm Team Buck has for what I'm doing. So, sorry for the second shameless plug in the, in the same segment, but I've, you know, I gotta sell, gotta sell that, gotta sell that late night show, everybody. Not late night, but night show. So th- that's all changed very much, and our ability—it seems very clear to me—our ability to um, separate out, you know, retirement and. Uh, the, the financial planning, and this is different now than it used to be. And there's a lot of pressure on the generation right now that doesn't yet get Medicare or Social Security, that hasn't had assets. You know, we are hamsters on a, on a giant treadmill, my friends. Those of you listening who are 25, really 25 to 50, you are a hamster on a treadmill. Uh, you are working longer and have less access to the you know the upsides of the market have let if you haven't already bought a home I know a lot of you have so congrats good for you that's a that's a good move but if you haven't bought a home yet uh, the idea that the home value that you're going to buy is going to rise considerably as we've seen there are market corrections and it just doesn't go up nothing goes up forever right this is except our national debt apparently a separate conversation so it's with all that uh, that sense of struggle that the sub uh, the sub boomer generations are going through right now and does not get addressed nearly enough although I do think it's a part of the appeal of Trumpism with all of that someone like Chelsea Clinton bringing us back to the beginning of our discussion here someone like Chelsea Clinton I find uh, very bothersome I don't know her so it's not personal but she's a public person and enough is known about her publicly that I am comfortable criticizing what she has done publicly and what she stands for. She may in person be a lovely human being, and, and I do not mean to degrade, degrade her or, or, or that possibility. Based on everything I read and have heard, she is, pretty, she is pretty terrible, at least publicly. So I wanted to spend a little bit of time in, on that. I went on a rant here, and I know that just happens sometimes. But those of you who are 25 to 45, 25 to 50 maybe, you know what I'm talking about. It's just, oh yeah, you're just going to retire and hang out and go down to the Caribbean whenever you want, go fishing, go fly, you know, go hunting, uh, play golf or tennis and just enjoy your, nope. You all know we're going to be work. We're going to be working. Those of us who are sub boomer, we're going to be working well into our late seventies, probably into our mid eighties. A lot of us, a lot of us, if we want to maintain the, whatever lifestyle it is that you're accustomed to, definitely late seventies, retiring at 65, please. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> the Larry King effect. Hey, I want to come back. I'm not done yet. It's like, Larry, you're 150. Don't you think it's time to like hang it up and give it a break? Hey, I got more in me. Bring me the microphone. It's my Larry King impression. All right, we're hit a break. I'll finish this on the flip side. Stay with me. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network.
Buck Sexton. Welcome back, team. Uh, as I said, please download the podcast of Buck Sexton with America Now. Just type in Buck Sexton in the iHeart, or sorry, on iTunes. Uh, also, you can listen live on the iHeart Radio app. Uh, team, I, I need you, Shields High, at my side on this one. The more those numbers go up, the more we're going to get just buzz and help and support from from all different corners. So that's really, really useful and helpful. It means we'll even be able to uh, pitch uh, pitch those numbers when we talk to some additional stations that are thinking about carrying the show. So if you've been listening for a long time and you want to help, even if you're only a live listener, uh, you can download that podcast, listen as you like, and it would be helpful. So please, iTunes. I'm sure you've all got iTunes, or at least most of you do. Type in Buck Sexton. It's also on Stitcher.com, by the way. But uh, iTunes is probably the among the easiest places to go. All right, so Chelsea Clinton. So this piece in the New York Post, which I got totally diverted from, talks about how God help us if Chelsea Clinton runs for office. And I just think that she's emblematic of this part of my generation where they've been given everything. Um, and, you know, that's... As I've told you before, I've I've looked into a uh, my my own bank account as somebody who had been working for years and been like, well, I have less than a month's rent in the bank, and uh, my rent was not high, and that is all the money I have. So that's not fun. Um, but for those of us who, and I know many people like this, it's all been handed to them. The one thing they can't have is a true sense of accomplishment and the respect that comes along with that. And someone like Chelsea Clinton who has been uh, hyper-educated, educated to a point where clearly it's an escape from having to deal with reality and the real world, and who gets $65,000 a speech for no apparent reason, who's paid $600,000 by a major TV news network, despite the fact that she is, she is atrociously bad on TV. I mean, not a little bad. You could find, uh, I'd say, half the people that you'd walk past on a New York City street if you put them in front of a camera at random, would do a better job on TV than Chelsea Clinton did. So she was paid $600,000 for that, as you know. Now we're being told she may be thinking about running for Congress. And I, I just want to say that it's I don't want to be mean about this, but when you show up at one hedge fund and then you show up at a fancy consulting firm and then you work for mummy and daddy's company and you're married to a hedge fund guy and you live in a $10 million apartment and you're giving $65,000 speeches... I don't really want to be lectured by you on anything because I don't think you know anything. I don't think you understand the struggle and I'm not impressed. And this isn't just Chelsea Clinton. It's anybody else who falls into this category. Look, I, I wish that I could just chill out in a hammock in St. Bart's and write novels that maybe nobody publishes, but that's not my existence. But I do know what it is to show up into a cubicle where no one cares, where no one's nice to me, and where if I mess up, I get fired. I've done that many times, and let me tell you, it is character building in the true sense of the word. I know what it's like to not be able to live in the apartment you want to live in. I know what it's like to have credit card debt that you can't pay off. I know what it's like to cash out your 401k so you can apply to grad school. Chelsea Clinton does not know what it is like to do any of those things. And that Democrats still think that by talking about social justice and whatever else, they can overcome that deficit in their personalities. I think that's ridiculous. I also want to point out that she was asked by a nine-year-old, and this is talked about in this piece, uh, she was asked a question by a nine-year-old, and she said that she could not, she says, quote, this is back in 2008, I'm sorry, I don't talk to the press, and that applies to you, even though I think you're cute. This was a nine-year-old kid reporter from Scholastic News saying this. So Chelsea Clinton and all the rest of the hyper-privileged contemporaries that I have, Buck is not impressed. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to be lectured by you. And the fact that you think you should be given the levers of power in some capacity in government 
should be seen by all the rest of us in the struggle as delusional, utterly and completely delusional. All right, team, great show planned for tonight, 6 to 9 Eastern on Buck Sexton with America Now. I will see you there. Shield time. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.